0: Listener production.
1: Do you know what it means to be intersex?
2: Without knowing or having access to the script in that child's head, we cannot predict who they will become as an adult.
1: Today on Feed, Play, Love, the rights of intersex children and how we can all be better allies. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Intersex. It's the I in LGBTQI, but how much do you know about what it means to be intersex? The term is an umbrella description for people who can have sex characteristics that don't fit into medical or social norms for male or female bodies. To coincide with Intersex Awareness Day, Sean Zepps, host of the podcast Come Out Wherever You Are, had a conversation with Cody Smith. Cody is the senior projects officer at Intersex Human Rights Australia. And I wanted to have Sean on the show because as a parent, I learned a lot from listening to that conversation. And I wanted Sean to share some of the insights with you because Sean, of course, is the dad of two gorgeous twins. Hi, Sean. Hello. Lovely to have you on the show again. Thank you. Now, to start with, you've spoken with a stack of people from the LGBTQI community for your show. But I would say that most people don't really understand that I, what that I stands for, what it means. So Mm -hmm. could you start off by just telling us what it means to be intersex and how common it is?
2: Yeah. So intersex is a, a very general term. I think you said it perfectly. It's an umbrella term, and there are a variety of conditions in which a person can be born with whether it's reproductive or sexual anatomy. And really what intersex mean is how they're born does not sit into the typical definition of female or male. So for example, a person might be born appearing as a female on the outside, like all of their body parts that we can physically see, but inside they actually have the anatomy of a man. Or a person may be born with genitals that seem to be in between. So they might have one and the other. Um, for example, a girl can be born with a large clitoris and or lacking a vaginal opening at all. Or a boy can be born with very large genitals. So basically there are all of these different variations and intersex is the umbrella. As far as the pure data of how frequently this exists it's a little bit tricky. Cody says in the episode that there is a range of data available to us. As many as 1.7% of babies are different, let's just say that, from what we would typically call a boy and a girl. That's, you know, there's around 1 in 2,000 babies can be deemed by doctors different enough to recommend surgical intervention. And really, intersex is the uh, the larger umbrella term that all of those cases would fall under. So it's it's pretty common. One in 2000, you absolutely know a parent who has had to deal with this and just it's never, ever been brought up.
1: Yeah. And I think the interesting thing for me about intersex that I didn't know was that concept that you just described as in um, physically appearing as one gender and internally being another. Because we mm. don't think about I mean, I don't know why, but we don't think about the impact of hormones on how you feel Mm, and how you identify and all those sorts of things. And that's the unseen part of this. Yeah. Now, a lot of the interview was exploring Cody's experience, but of course, you cannot divorce yourself from your personage as a father. Never. What did you learn from Cody as a parent?
2: It isn't just what I learned from Cody. It's what I learned from all the parents that came into my inbox afterwards. It felt like what resonated most with my listeners, lots of mothers, was a short sentence Cody said about them not being able to consent to a surgery that as an adult, as someone who found, you know, came to terms with them themselves being non-binary that through the lens of that self-discovery, they would look back at these decisions that were made with no malice or anger or judgment. They do not judge their parents for the decisions they made. But they look back and regret that that was, they would not have consented to it as an adult. That felt like a very big idea to me. It felt like what Cody did to me and my listeners was remind us that we make decisions that we think are best in the short term, but it's impossible for us to project ourselves into the 30 years down the line and imagine what that adult is going to feel about those decisions. That blew my mind and and stuck with me for a couple of days.
1: It feels to me that in this conversation, when we talk about consent and Mm. what that scenario you just painted of the parent, seems to me that the responsibility really does lie at the feet of the medical professional Totally to understand the implications of this. So do we know how often it is recommended that surgery be done on children this small? Do we know where the doctors are getting their information from, that this is the right thing to do?
2: We do have access to the information. Cody shared that you can look at the Medicare codes, and that is how you can extrapolate how many children are having these surgeries without their consent, right? And so... If you look at clitoral reduction surgeries, which is just the procedure that reduces the size of the clitoris for cosmetic reasons alone, you can see each year in Australia that there are dozens, hundreds of those occurring. You know they're happening because of the code of a child under the age of two. And so you just... Yeah, we do know. We actually, I don't have access to all the data now, but like, yeah, as a country, we have access to that information. We know that that's happening to a child without their consent. We know that it's happening because someone recommended it. And we know it's not a, usually not a parent barging in and going, what's wrong here, right? This is a child that has just been born. The doctors whisk it away. And they come back to the parents and say, so you have a daughter with a really big clitoris. Here's here's your options. Yeah. And I feel like from my direct messages, the conversations i've been having with women it actually wasn't such a con- it wasn't like that it wasn't like there are options here and here are one two or three and you get to decide it's people 10 years ago 15 years ago 11 years ago two years ago 18 months ago whose doctor said this is the procedure so and clearly, it's cosmetic
1: too it's right totally it's cosmetic. not like i mean i i could understand a broader debate about this if it was affecting the quality of life mm like if it was stopping them urinating or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I imagine there are some intersex surgeries that do impact the actual health of the child. But when you said that, you mentioned it was cosmetic surgery. That's right. And that seems to be the point here. That is something that doesn't necessarily have to happen before someone can consent.
2: We have to unpack here, like, the different types of, of consent. Because you're right. I grew up in a religious household. I was indoctrinated into the Roman Catholic faith and grew up, you know, under the house of God. As an adult, I look back at the time and say, I wouldn't have consented to that because it caused me damage that I'm still working on today and pro- probably work on for the rest of my life. But that's very different than surgery. That's something that I can get angry about and go to therapy and talk about and work through. I can also continue. To do my part each day to step further away from it. These children, so they're exper- they're having, let's just focus in on clitoral reduction. These young women or non-binary people are having this surgery for cosmetic reasons. It causes them pain, nerve damage, they're scarring for the rest of their life. There are other operations where or someone who is born uh, will have their gonads removed, and for the rest of their life. They have to have hormone replacement therapy for the rest of their life. These are little kids who, without their consent, have this routine for the rest of their life without any real reason for it. Because at the end of the day, they could have learned to love that about themselves or maybe they could have grown up and discovered this feeling inside me all along I am not a woman, I am not a man, maybe I am non-binary, maybe I am trans, there are all these elements of them and their ability to fall in love with that aspect of them, just like being born with, with one arm or the inability to see.
1: Staying on the topic of surgery, Cody told you in the interview that they didn't find out that they had had surgery until they were 17. Let's hear a little bit of what they told you about their experience
0: for a very long time, best practice was to do the surgery and keep it secret and um, never tell a child they're intersex because it doesn't afford them the opportunity to feel they're abnormal. Mm. But um, I can certainly uh, speak to my experience that I grew up uh, with surgical scars that I didn't, didn't explain. I didn't have language to even ask questions about why I had those scars. I used to write, stories. Like I have um exercise books from when I was very, very young, where I wrote stories about feeling like a space alien. So I I grew up knowing I felt different, but i never had an exp- uh, explanation for that until my mum sat me down at 17 and was just sort of like, I can't let you turn 18 without like, without you knowing that you went through this.
1: As you mentioned before, parents are making decisions based on what they think will make their child happy. Yeah. I have great empathy for that confusion their mother would have had. Me too. And thank God they came out and talked to them about it at Mm. 17. But still, what a conversation to have. And I think that what's interesting about this is that Cody seems to have equanimous approach to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Let's have a listen to what they said about this idea of looking back at what's historically done to children.
0: One of the things that we struggle to have a conversation about in the intersex community is that what's done to us is violent, it's traumatic, it's horrifying, but it's done out of love. It really truly is. like. Mm doctors considered this to be best practice because they want to produce happy healthy children and they have this model that is fundamentally damaging but the intent there is to is to produce like normal happy children and it's a similar thing for parents is that there's just this difficult power dynamic whereby They're scared, they're confused. The first time they found out that they're uh, about intersex is because their child's been taken away from them at at birth just while doctors try to figure out what to tell the parents.
1: So, I mean, what great insight and compassion they have Mm. to be able to reflect that way. What is the intersex community advocating for in terms of medical intervention when it comes to children? What do they want to see happen so that this all changes?
2: Cody says that the focus is really on making sure that doctors are trained. Right now, there's really not a lot of organizations, and the organization that Cody works for is just one team that only has so much time in their day. So of course they do their best to get to these hospitals and talk to doctors or nurses that are training. Of course they get to schools and try to have those conversations, but it's not like it's woven into the framework of the education system. Framework of parenting Prior to your child being born, but we're not having the same conversation about intersex. And it's clearly very common. The doctors do have the power. There is a power imbalance in the relationship between a parent and a doctor. We are absolutely going to believe that we should trust them. We might have a parent instinct or a parent guilt to push back, but that is not enough. The doctor has to have access to it. And that requires investment, that requires money being donated to these intersex. Companies and organizations and nonprofits, so that they can hire and train staff who can go into these hospitals or doctors or work with the universities to make sure that they can figure out how to have these types of nuanced conversations, which are hard.
1: Moving on from the parents who are raising children who are intersex to those of us who want to be good allies and raise good allies, Mm. how do you think we talk about this with our kids? Ooh,
2: that's tricky. I asked Cody because, to be honest with you, I do this for a living. I talk about queer issues. I interview queer people, but I don't have a lot of conversations with people who are intersex. They just, unfortunately, there are a lot less intersex, like, media personalities or people who make a living online for us to be able to talk to them openly about, like, the best way to approach it. Cody, if you listen to the episode, is, like, unbelievably articulate and so empathetic and kind and weaves their own personal story into the interview they're there from a professional capacity to help raise awareness about intersex, but they also were open about bringing their story. And they said it's not one of those things like the rest of the LGBTQI plus alphabet where you can be like, "I'm straight. What are you?" Like, it's not appropriate to walk up to a colleague and be like, "Hey, are you intersex?" And <laughs> Co- no, please yeah, don't do so that. don't do that. And so Cody was like, "There's not necessarily those types of conversations," and and that makes it difficult for us as parents because with our children. You know, Stella said to me literally today while walking to daycare, I said a sentence, it included the word gender, and she just asked what gender was. And I was like, oh, you know, like um, male or female or non-binary when you believe you are either male or female or, or neither. And she was like, oh, okay. And she has a reference for someone who's non-binary because I have a best friend. Oh, okay, like Sandy. That's right. That's right. And we keep walking. Well, how do you weave intersex into that? because it isn't gender it is two completely different things it isn't trans it's two completely different things and so i struggle with that you know basically wait till they're developmentally capable of understanding the nuance of the lived human experience which is probably not at 5 but starts to happen around 7 or 8 or 9 and watch a youtube video with them they're unbelievable there's a great documentary you can find you can have the conversation about the fact that they were born right? Children are ego-driven. Focus on themselves. You were born like this. Dada was born like this. Mommy was born like this. There are some people who are born into the world and they look different. If they can constantly connect back to themselves, then at least they have access to the fact that there are different people. So as they get older and they come in contact with someone who is willing to share their intersex identity with them, it doesn't come as a pure shock and they're not the asshole who says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Instead, they at least Have an awareness that it exists. It is a real thing. There are people who are struggling with it or not struggling with it. And what's the best way to deal with it? Kind, compassion. Ask them if it's appropriate to ask follow-up questions. Say thank you for sharing. All the things we know how to respond when someone shares something personal with you.
1: Yeah, And also... It's none of our business. Mm. Do you know, like none of it is any of our business. Just mm. accept people as they present to you. And once you get to know them, if they are a really good friend and open to it, you, then you can see if you can ask questions. But exactly. just this ownership we sometimes feel we have of other people's identity just mm. blows my mind.
2: And intersex is so tricky because it's not something that you can see usually And so it comes up in mysterious ways, but as an adult, like let's just take our kids out of it. We we all know a beautiful woman who's gone through IVF. We all know a beautiful, you know, couple who's tried to conceive and couldn't. But we never know why. We don't go. So whose problem was it? Was it you or him? Was it the sperm or the egg? Was it you? But we understand that it happens, and we understand it happens a lot, and the conversation narrative is changing. But how many of those are because the people were intersex? And so all that you can do as an adult. Is create a safe space where people trust you. So if they start to have a conversation, you can always say, if you're comfortable sharing more, I'm here as a safe space for you to feel like you can vent or share your story. I do not need to hear anything, but also know that I, you know, am a trusted space and I care. Like that little baby sentence from one adult to the other might be the story. That acts as a magnet for them to finally feel like they can tell you. And you just walk the walk. Be a nice person. Be accepting. If the office gives you a rainbow lanyard, wear it. If, you know, you're going to a pride festival or there's intersex awareness day and someone puts a story, like, support it. Give it a heart. Give it a thumbs up. Say thank you for sharing. Like, all those little micro moments are going to increase the likelihood that someone feels like they can come to you, whether you're a child or an adult.
1: And it's good role modeling. Mm, Amen. Sean, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That's Sean Zepps. He's the host of Come Out Wherever You Are, the podcast, and we'll put a link to that episode that we are just discussing in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.